Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are joined once again by Jonathan Macri and Jeremy Cohen of the Knicks Film School podcast. If you haven't checked it out already, we released part three of this earlier today, so you can check that out in your feed. And also parts one and two are in the Knicks Film School feed. But right now we're bringing you part four of this four-part series prior to the season where we talk about if Mitchell Robinson will get Defensive Player of the Year buzz this year. If Mitch and Isaiah Hartenstein can average five and a half stocks per game this year, that steals plus blocks. And if the Knicks can become a top 10 team in transition this year, which would be quite the uptick for them. So it's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure you hit that auto-download function on your favorite podcast platform or the notification bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode and perhaps get notified when there are two episodes in a single day, like today, where we release two parts of this bold predictions crossover with Nick's film school. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Nick's site, the Strickland, which you can find at the strict.land. And he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcasters, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And this once again is our bold predictions crossover, a yearly tradition like no other. I think it's about three years running now, uh, maybe four. I don't know with uh, the Nick's film school guys, Jeremy Cohen and Jonathan Macri. And uh, may as well not hold it up any further. We got spicy takes to get into right now. So I think I have a around a habanero as well. Okay, it's not going to be as spicy as my last take, but my final prediction, final bold prediction, is that Mitchell Robinson will get at least one Defensive Player of the Year award vote. Ah, I was thinking about this one. This is good. I th- you know, I think this is pretty spicy. If you ask me, I'll, I'll throw it to you for your justification for this, but. We say this every year with Mitch of he'll get defensive player of the year consideration. He'll get all defensive team consideration. And yet he's never showed up on any of these things or even seemed to be on the radar. So that that is pretty spicy if you ask me. Yeah. And I think the reason is that the Knicks do such a good job of working as a unit that Mitch kind of just gets lost in the fray because the Knicks are, when they have been a really good defensive team, a really good defensive team. And it's like, look at what Josh Hart can do. Look at what Quentin Grimes can do. It's never really like what Mitchell Robinson can do. And Mitchell Robinson can certainly do a lot. I mean, in his entire career, the lowest defensive EPM he's had, for example, was 90. And that was his second season. The highest he's had was the year after that, 96th percentile. Granted, he only played 31 out of 72 games due to injury. But I think the injury component is the reason why this could potentially be even spicier. But when you look at the list of players that have won it recently, or rather just gotten a single vote, you know, it's across the board. Uh, but last year, Jaron Jackson Jr., big man, he won it. Brooke Lopez, second place, big man. Evan Mobley, big man. Draymond, considered a big. Giannis, pretty much a big. Uh, OG Ananobi, more of a wing. Drew Holiday, guard. Nick Claxton, big. Joel Embiid, big. Alex Caruso, guard. Jimmy Butler, wing. There are more bigs than not. So the question is, is Mitchell Robinson going to replace one of these players or is he going to be so good that he just, he appears again, it's only one vote and yet getting one single vote has eluded him. Despite the fact he has been a very capable and strong defender 
throughout his NBA career. So I often think he doesn't have the counting stats in order for him to get to that point. It's the stocks. And when the Knicks try to say, hey, block less because we want you to be more of a presence to deter from the rim. And then if fewer shots get to the rim, then his impact is felt by the Knicks, but it's not felt on the stat sheet nearly as much, which means he doesn't get considered as one of the guys on the depoy list. So I think the Knicks are going to have a, a very strong defense once again. It's going to be better than last year. And if that's the case, it'd be nice if there was some representation by New York on this list. So I'm just asking for one vote. I don't think it's too much to ask for. Okay. Any, any of you? I'll give my rebuttal. Not my rebuttal, but I think there's a this is there's going to be a hurdle he has to overcome aside from the obvious things. I think the Knicks and Knicks fans obviously know Mitchell Robinson's impact on the team because he, as we've talked about a few times on this episode and on our part of this episode, like their their starting five contains three guys who you don't think of as being positive defensive contributors. We'll see if maybe RJ could really change that narrative this year. Um, and Mitch like is a lifesaver for them. Um, he, they need him out there and, and we know that very well. And the coach knows that. And I'm hope, I hope they let him know how much they appreciate him. I think, unfortunately, the reality is that the defensive numbers for the starting five have, you know, will maybe continue to not be great, which Last year, at least, uh, Rex Havoc on his like on off in terms of like if you look at points per possession, like the Knicks were 1.5 points per hundred stingier with Mitch on the court, which is pretty good, but it's not the sort of number you typically see from players. And we, but again, we know why that is, and it's because their their backup units are like excellent defensively, and sure enough, like you have, you know, Emmanuel quickly up there who's like 12 points per hundred better now. I think we all agree that Mitch is the most impactful defender on the team, or I think so at least. I just wonder if like there's a lot of voters who, when they come down to this stuff, um, will like give a quick glance at like certain advanced stats, and I wonder if that would hurt Mitch to the point that there's not a single. But again, you're only asking for one vote, so I don't know. Maybe maybe he gets one. Just yeah. sticking out the cup, asking for one. I just need one, please. <laughs> hey, it's that first million that's the hardest, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Don't we all know? Mm, yes <laughs> all of us millionaires <laughs> it's the billion that really is the trick <laughs> but that was easy after the second one yeah i i think i'm i think john kind of took the words out of my mouth like you just rarely see with award voting guys get credit for taking a unit or a team that would be bad and bringing them to average like the russell westbrook mvp is a good exception to that even even shay gildas alexander getting some votes for mvp last year mm-hmm. is a good exception for that and maybe there's just not as much scrutiny applied to defensive player of the year. And like when guys, at least in terms of counting statistics, aren't overwhelming, it just requires so much nuance for voters to go out there and say, you know what, Mitchell Robinson is is, is single-handedly saving the Knicks starting lineup. And I just wonder if like, we, we all we all know who the reporters are who put in that kind of time and effort. And, and this isn't even to say like Mitch was like inherently deserving of votes over some of the guys who got them last year. I, I thought all those guys were great, but he should certainly be in that mix. I just think there's going to have to be something he brings this year that he didn't bring in past years because I, I I just don't see the Knicks being a top 10 defense. Or like it could go to the Jalen Brunson corollary of the Knicks of the, as a team have to be a top two seed for people to really be paying 
that level of attention, but I think his block numbers would have to skyrocket back up. And there's been some talk this offseason of, I know his trainer referenced a whole lot of pool workouts and said, quote unquote, he got his athleticism back. And I think he's looked really good vertically oh, he's, in the preseason. So awesome. if that were to just increase his block numbers a bit, maybe that's enough to like just kind of get him in some voters' minds. And, and to me, that's the most exciting part. Like I, I think he is going to have a career defensively. It's just, is there enough recognition there? Yeah, I will say, I think that from the Knicks perspective, it feels like the the PR machine from within the, the team is churning in favor of Mitch at this point. Like, I feel like I, they always, they always kind of try to give Mitch his flowers to a degree, but so far this preseason, I feel like there's been a lot more talk from inside the team about Mitch is our guy. Like, Mitch. Tibbs. Hold, yeah, Tibbs players on the team grinds yeah like everybody's saying mitch holds this all together for us like this guy this guy is the the reason that we can be good on defense you know and and why we can you know be the team that we are is because of what he does you know both in the rebounding department and in the defensive department you know protecting the rim and so maybe that helps a bit you know if you start getting those quotes out into the ether then all of a sudden people's brains start churning and then maybe that's you know that's all it takes for someone to write a piece to say, "Hey, here's the stat I found on B-ball index or whatever." You know, the place, some place with the more offbeat stats. You know, like here's a stat I found on B-ball index that proves why Mitchell Robinson is one of the most impactful defenders in the entire NBA this year, and why the numbers, you know, just in the pure, uh, you know, on-off per 100 possession, you know, whatever normal stat that we look at all the time, doesn't paint a fair picture of Mitchell Robinson and his impact on the defensive end. Um, so I guess we'll see, but like that, that would be my main, my main thing as far as, uh, what I could see making this happen. If the, if the pure numbers stay similar and yet he stays healthy and this internal PR machine of the Knicks, you know, continues, you know, of the players and the coaches and everything else continue kind of pushing this, that he is the reason that they are as good as they are on defense, you know, and, and without him, they would just crumble uh then maybe that's maybe that's enough to start swaying some people and maybe that's enough to to pull one first place vote or not even for is it does it have to be a first place vote no, three vote. right yeah there's well there's three you named three on the depoy ballot i think right so yeah. even yeah. if he just gets a third place vote or something yeah, you know that's exactly. a vote it could be a third, yeah. that that is a vote for dpoy so and maybe that's all it takes i, I think that that could I, be there i like it yeah. I like this take. I think this is I, I think it's habanero, maybe maybe scotch bonnet, but I, I I like the take. It's a good take. It's uh a lot of it comes down to reputation, especially on the defensive end where it can be a little bit harder to pinpoint something where you know it's like, oh, this player has gotten the bill of a great defender, so we're just gonna watch him closely and and keep him yeah. in the loop. Like not not to throw shade on players and you know, specifically, but there's some who just rise to the top, like they am out of bio incredible defender he also is able to do that because a lot of his screens maybe don't you know maybe they're not exactly legal but that's kind of like oh well he's still an elite defender and in, in the eyes of so many of these people so i guess it's kind of the thing like if you're not playing dirty are you trying sort of thing yeah. <laughs> not, not maybe mitch has to you know maybe mitch isn't playing by the rules and that's how he gets this the Knicks, i i see him playing by the rules nick's just got to be a little dirtier is what i'm hearing here they just got to you know, uh, uh, 
we got to just have Mitchell Smart, you know, on the team and just, uh, you know, start <laughs> being being a little dirtier of a defender. All right. We are going to continue with some big time defensive numbers. Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hardenstein, can they get to 5.5 stocks per game? It's a compelling question. Uh, this one, we, we take a while to debate and then we talk about the Knicks potentially excelling in transition this year. I'm doubted, but I, I think I make a pretty compelling case when it's all said and done. Uh, but before we talk about all that, I got to help you guys make some money. And we're going to do that with our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports DFS platform in North America. We are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers instead of battling thousands of other players. And, and this, guys, ultimately at the end of the day is what makes the difference for me because my biggest fear in life is that I'm going to pour some time into daily fantasy. But inevitably, I'm not going to pour as much time into the guy who's living in his mom's basement and, and has a, a computing degree from Carnegie Mellon and is just going to torch me because at the end of the day, I'm not that good at math. I'm not that committed. And I'm just not going to be able to compete with a computer program. Um, I'm going to lose some money. But on prize picks, that's not a concern. You pick more or less then the two to six player stat projections you want to go with and watch the winnings roll in. It's just you against the numbers. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts several player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. With the Prize Picks reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Honestly, this is what has stopped me from playing daily fantasy in the past. I'm so scared that I'll think it through. Alex, I'll make the right decision. We all know this pain in fantasy football, and then my guy will get hurt. It won't be because of anything I did wrong. Price Picks gives you a mulligan. For NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with injury insurance. Incredible stuff. So go to pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. All you have to do one more time is go to pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, your your take was perfectly timed, Jeremy. Habanero, whatever whatever spice level it is, because I think the mine is is fairly spicy. If it, it, it on the surface, it doesn't look or sound as spicy as it is, but when you look at it in terms of a percentage increase, I might be oh bugging out here. Uh, so my next take is, and my final take here is that Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein will average 5.5 combined stocks this year per game. Uh, so last year, they averaged 4.1, if I added that up correctly, which is never a guarantee. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll check your math while you're talking. We can check my math. But, uh, but last year, I believe they averaged 4.1. So if you look at that just from a percentage increase standpoint, that's like about 30% more. I expect them to do this year. But, right. But here's why I think that. So Hartenstein saw a little bit of an increase after uh, the, I think it was after the all-star break last year. And, you know, I just kind of found that in general, he, he just started to get more comfortable as the year went on. He wasn't getting quite as many counting 
you know, numbers when he was first learning his role last year in Tibbs's defense. And you saw him at first just kind of almost like confused, you know, it was like, so you basically just want me to be a, a version of Mitchell Robinson. Like that's not really how I was playing in LA last year. You know, I, I, I don't think he fully understood the Knicks philosophy of just dropping all the time, uh, you know, and him having to just be this huge imposing force at the rim. And yet he really grew into that role over the year or over the course of the whole year and averaged somewhere between 1.4 and 1.5 stocks last year uh, off the 1. bench. 1.4. Your, your math was on. It was 4.1 total. Nice. And so, so he averaged that off the bench. And, you know, of course, in some starts when Mitch was hurt and whatever. Uh, and then Mitch, uh, he's the big swing factor here. So I'm a big believer in Mitch this year as well. And uh, these first couple preseason games have definitely shown me that his bounce is back in a big way. And his that that's part of what allows him to make more blocks rather than just being a big dude that gets in the way. I mean, even just standing there with his arms up, he he can deter like 85 to 90% of the NBA, you know, from from trying to score at the rim just by standing there with his arms straight up. But when he's got that quick second bounce, that quick first bounce, the quick recovery from when he's, you know, when he's guarding someone all the way down to the hoop and then can make, instead of just getting the hands up, can make that quick little hop to get that extra little bit of elevation to get that full-on block cleanly. It's what puts him in a different stratosphere. And obviously we saw him play with a, more uncontrolled version of that his early years in the league, which is why he had his, his foul woes and whatnot. But with it's, it's almost like taking like the, uh, this is a poor analogy because he like just continually gets better in both regards. But it's like, it's like if, if you had like super Saiyan Goku, but like he only had the brain of pre super Saiyan Goku, and then you gave him the full on brain. So now he's got the, all the power and all anime now, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a oh. Dragon Ball Z thing. Yeah, a little little Dragon Ball Z action. Um, or like if you took the Hulk and you put Doctor Strange's brain in him, how's that, John? Is that good? That re- that resonates actually. There you go. I, I know so, what you're talking about now. Yeah. So, if you, so <laughs> I got that. I understood that reference. <laughs> I understand. I got that reference. for another Marvel reference. In the it's a meta meta Marvel. Reference. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, you know, I I think that I think we're reaching a point where Mitch is starting to reach his his ideal physical form after struggling to sort of find that for a few years uh, where he got to first he was too thin in the beginning of his career. Then he started putting on the right amount of weight and then he got hurt and then he put on too much muscle and we saw how that hampered him last year. He seemed like he was still trying to cut just that little bit extra of weight. And now this year he just seems like in perfect physical condition. I think we're really going to see what could be the best version of Mitch this year from uh, in terms of, highlight plays from that crazy athleticism and like smarts of when to not take the chance. And I think that's going to lead to a lot more stocks in general, because I also think he's gotten better at, at poking away steals over the course of his career too, which is something the Hartenstein is also great at. Uh, so yeah, I think 5.5 stocks, you know, I think maybe the, the lukewarm version of this is five, but I'll go with the, the spicy version of five and a half. Yeah, I, I love this one. Um, I don't know what happened to Isaiah Hartenstein about halfway through the year. Maybe he found some of uh, Phil Jackson's old peyote stash somewhere in the bowels of MSG, but he just became like a different dude 
like halfway through the season. I look, it didn't ultimately make a big difference in his stocks, but just a level of aggression and physicality, I think over a full season will, he, he just seems to be, and it makes sense given that I, some, someone mentioned the, I think uh, Jeremy did in the first episode that he didn't, he didn't get to play a ton before his last year in the Clippers. Like he's becoming an actualized version of himself. We actually saw Mitch um, block a three pointer in the first preseason game, which is something that since that transformation from like speed and, and lean athleticism to more physicality, like, he hasn't done that as often as he did early in his career. And, and, and part of that is, to your point, just a judgment call of not going for those as much. But the fact that he's quick enough to do that again, and like maybe in some schemes, like we'll see. I, I think it would be smart for Tom Thibodeau to experiment with some switching of bigs and, and letting bigs like press out into perimeter versus playing drop all the time because the playoffs, as Eric Spolster showed us, sometimes require scheme versatility. And I, I think if he mixes those things in, it could lead to more stocks. It could lead to more blocks. And just generally the Knicks, especially when the second unit is in it, if Mitch gets some minutes with the second unit, there's going to be more gambling. I think like Dante DiVincenzo, as you guys noted, is a defensive playmaker. And I, I think that will carry over and, and kind of be contagious throughout the roster. So I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, I just want to use this opportunity to shout out Patrick Ewing. You, have you guys heard of Patrick Ewing? Sure. Yeah. I was just, I was just looking at the all time. I was when you guys were talking. I was looking at the the Knicks all time like block stuff. Um, at his current pace, uh, I'm fairly certain Mitchell Robinson would need to play 25 NBA seasons to pass Patrick Ewing on the all time uh, blocks list for the Knicks or or whereabouts. <laughs> Patrick Ewing is, I mean, the, it, but it also speaks to, which is why I think this is a spicy take, Alex. The game has changed a lot. You know, I like the opportunity for big, for good defensive centers to like get three, you know, two and a half, three, three and a half, four blocks a game, which Ewing got to four one year. And like, obviously, you know, you had your, your Mark Eaton's and your, like, you know, Hakeem had some big blocks. He's like, those, those are really tough to achieve now, you know? So it's, uh, I think honestly, I think this is spicier than Jeremy's take. I really do. Hmm. I'd have to agree. It's hard for me to say Mitchell Robinson is going to get at least one vote in Depoy, but that this can't happen. But I do think there is a middle ground in between the two where Mitch elevates, but they the duo still doesn't get to five and a half. Yeah, hmm. and that's where I'm at. Uh, Hardenstein, I think the the best part about it, that Gavin, as you were saying, I wonder if it's the Achilles injury that he came into camp with found its way to be healed. And he was feeling good about the process of the integration into a new team. And lo and behold, both those things, because, because, you know, I mean, it was tough. There was a point where I was like, Hey, all right, let's send this guy back to the Clippers. get a trade player exception out of it. Maybe a couple second round picks. Yeah. And he is, he's more valuable to the Knicks than that. I mean, that would like the Knicks got that with Obi Toppin. They didn't mm -hmm. need to get more than that. So, but Alex, for for your take, yeah, I think just getting the five and a half is a high level. And I think if Hartenstein were a bit more on the the block end, then it could happen. And you know, if it weren't dropped like Gavin's saying, then maybe so. But it's tricky. Yeah, five, so I think, could, could be more. They have they have to add one point four. Where where do you think that comes from? Like in each of their numbers. I think half a more block for Mitch, uh, point 
This might have been too granular of a question. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say we're at 0.257. <laughs> yeah, 0. 0.2 more steals. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Match. I thought you have to fill it. Um, what do we have to get to? 1.4? All right, yeah, never mind. So I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> half, half, no, 0. 0.6 more blocks for Mitch. Uh, but wait. But wait a minute, when you put it, oh, sorry, when you put it like that, it's, it's not, not crazy, crazy right? It's, it's, if yeah. you break 1.4 apart four ways, mm -hmm. it really, I think what the what you're saying is like you think Mitch could have a big block here, right? Because yeah. we could we could get 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 steals from Mitch, mm -hmm. steals from Hardenstein, blocks from Hardenstein. It comes down to can Mitch get up? Can Mitch know, get like another like half to 0. 0.7 yeah, blocks per game? Yeah. Basically, I think it's the big swing factor. Yeah. Which we, we, by the way, we know he can. Like, it's, he's capable of it, but it, is that going to work for the Knicks defense? Is like that yeah. what they want him to do? Can do without fouling, right? That's, yeah, it's well, like, that's, yeah. It. yeah. I mean, it would basically mean that he would just have to get to his rookie level, right? That's it. Cause it's like 2.4. Yeah. 1.8 last year, 2.4 as a rookie. That's exactly it. But without fouling 3.3 times per 20 minutes, you know what I mean? That's that's the big thing. Whereas last year he was 2.7 fouls per 27 minutes, which is a lot better. Um, yeah. And and saw him stay in games a lot more. So it's like, can he toe that line? I, I kind of think so, just because I think, like I said, I, I feel like he's sort of finding his actualized final form physically, and and if he can keep working that. I think sky's the limit as far as as far as uh what he what he can do in in terms of the stocks and all that. I think we're all in, we've all said something to the effect we we all think Mitch is going to have the best year of his career. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Will this be his first ten ten year? Do we think? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think he scores that much more this year. Yeah. If you're a higher usage player, then perhaps you know but... he worked he worked on his post ups this summer. So. Will this be his first ten <laughs> rebound year? Let's see that. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I he he's looked aesthetically better rebounding the basketball in these two preseason games than I think I've ever seen him look doing it, which is a very subjective measure. I think he's figured out the positioning well enough that now they just kind of fall into his lap sometimes too. Like we saw that in the the second game where there was one that just like he was just like right place, right time. Dennis Rodman, like it's right there, baby. Like I know where it's coming, and I'm just gonna snatch it out of traffic because I have really long arms, and that's it. Like I don't know. I think I, I think I think he could crack ten. He was real close last year, in not nine point four per game last year. And he he's and, gone up every single year of his career. Yeah. Wow, that's the that's Very the nice. one consistent trend line that's gone consistently out of his whole career. Ten ten should be easy for him. It it really should be right. But it's yeah. I, I think if if the free throw shooting is actually better, that would obviously go a long way. Um, but to, to wrap things up, I think this is a good way to end things. Not in that it's exceptionally, exceptionally bold, but that it, we've, I think it's something we've been touching on uh, throughout both parts of this podcast. And it's that the Knicks, who were 22nd in fast break points a year ago, will finish top five in the NBA in fast break points this season. Um, the good news that, that makes this a little, a little bit low key on, on my heat scale is that they were seventh after acquiring Josh Hart last year. Of course, though, they also lose Obi Toppin, who has been almost their single source of fast break points outside of RJ Barrett for most of his NBA career. I think they can replace some of that with, as we've noted a couple of times now, Dante DiVincenzo being a defensive playmaker. We saw it the other night, second preseason game, had two different steals that I, I believe both of them led to dunks for him. Um, he's a great ability to just like poke the ball away, fighting through pick and rolls, getting skinny, he has really strong hands to knock the ball out. Um, Hart, we know, is really good at that. 
And I kind of hinted at this earlier, but I, I really do think playmaking defensively is a very contagious thing. And when you see one or two guys kind of being piranhas out there and scrambling after the ball, it, it, it does create this like sense of camaraderie that everyone wants to go and do that. And I think that more than anything else is what the Knicks have lacked a little bit in past seasons. And then the other thing I like is to me, and again, small sample size, but in that second game, it felt like there was a really clear emphasis on like whether it was off of makes or rebounds that in the past, the Knicks wouldn't push off trying to get the ball as far up the court on the initial pass without taking a lot of dribbles as quickly as possible. And I, I think that could lead to more threes for the Knicks. I, I think it'll help them maintain their efficiency on offense that if for other reasons might not have been that sustainable from a season ago. And, and I think, I think it's something that Tibbs is, is no, no pun intended here is going to be pushing the fact that RJ Barrett comes into the season, the best shape of his career. Mitchell Robinson, obviously will usually be the guy getting the rebound, but he's maybe in the best shape of his entire career. Julius Randall seems to carry over the shape that he was in last year. And the fact that they just played dirt slow at the start of last season in those first 20 games really tanked those numbers to a high extent um, and, and Josh Hart getting a full season, getting big minutes I, I could all add up to the Knicks being top five in this category. I think this is scorching. Ooh. Okay. I got to because here, here's yeah. so fast break points doesn't have to relate to pace, obviously. Right. And I, but, I initially had pace in there and then I was like, there's no way I couldn't get there. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is no, you couldn't get there because you would have been able to say that was a straight phase. But I do think it is important to mention that it has been over a decade since the Knicks have finished in the top half of the league in pace. It was the 2011-12 season when mm -hmm. they were just inside the top 10. Um, ever since then, they've been 17th or lower, I think. Uh, I just wonder if a team that we know is going to be in bottom 10 in pace could also be top five in fast break points. That, to me... That's that's that would be pretty shocking, but even though I I understand where you're coming from, I it could happen. Yeah. But I, I yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, I think I think it just comes down to like fast break production, and I mean I've already made a couple points where I think like I literally said in the last in the in the KFS half of the show, like you know I think that the Knicks will have a potentially a better offense this year in part due to more fast break. I don't know that it's going to put them top 10, though. I think that's the part that I take a little a little exception to. I just think as much as the players want to do it, it just consistently seems to be something that Tibbs will pay lip service to in the preseason, and you'll even see it a little bit more in the preseason and then just gradually goes away because his preferred method of offense is definitely yeah. bring it down, set things up, and run an ISO. And yeah, and let Mitch get in there. position to get an offensive rebound, right? It's like low that. turnover, yeah. too. That's what yeah. he wants. He wants low turnover, and typically playing fast leads to, to more turnovers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's going to be difficult. Just in the sense of having prioritizing the rebounding, that's going to then impact how you're able to fly across the court. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that John and Alex at John and Alex said it the best. It's just, it's tough. I, I had it top 10 initially and I was like, Oh, they're going to say that wasn't spicy enough. Maybe, maybe that's where I should have put it, but I'll, 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 I'll stick with it. Let's, let's call it top five. Job, we'll that. I mean, that's the fact cold. that they, they did get, they did get to seven with Josh Hart. So we know, like, I guess, do, I guess here, I'll throw this back at you guys. What was unsustainable about that, that, that you think won't translate to this year? Um, Just small sample or. No, I, 
It's a good question. It's a good comeback. Like, what was unsustainable about that? They were seven. I don't know. I mean, Obi. I gotta say, Obi, yeah. not being here, I think does hurt. But something I don't know if you, if I, well, you guys have like talked about it a little bit. But like, I the the notion that like now Divincenzo gets in passing lanes more, and we obviously saw him get you know generate some steals already in the preseason. Like, I think that'll help. So I, you know what, you might be on something. I, it's it's. The numbers say it's crazy, but when you think it out, it shouldn't be that crazy, right? I just I think it to your to what you said initially, they're going to have to be so efficient to do it. But I kind of think they have the personnel to be really efficient in transition. I think the the one thing in regard to Josh Hart, and mm-hmm. granted, this is not all going to be from a fast break perspective because a lot of this was in the half court, but he was in the hundredth percentile in corner threes, yes. which we will all expect to regress because it just has to. And I think that especially running the floor, like if he is not doing his signature drive of the basket, make the move and lay it up, he'll probably be in the corner. Like, I I don't think he'll have as many of those shots. And I think that will lead to the other team most likely collecting the rebounds because the Knicks are not in position as much to get those boards because they are lumbering up the court because they were prioritizing the rebounds on the other side. So uh, it'll, I just think it'll be, tricky but i think there will definitely be a jump yes yeah i i, th- I think that's my biggest thing too i, I could see like top 15 mm. i think narrowly in cool. fast break points like and that would that would be a marked improvement from 20 last year. Yeah. yeah exactly so i mean i i could see that happening for sure and I, you know i do think i guess it's all going to come down to like is that second unit zipping around so much and generating so many steals and fast break opportunities that it makes that happen, uh, which I think is the biggest, the biggest wild card there. And maybe DiVincenzo, like DiVincenzo and Hart as a unit doing that might be enough to kind of make that out. Cause we know the quickly loves to run too when yeah. given the opportunity. Uh, and I don't see any reason why like, uh, like RJ, if he's the, the fourth guy, of that unit, you know, outside of uh, Hartenstein, obviously, like if he's the guy that most commonly is with them too, like he definitely loves to get out there too. And he likes to, he likes to run down and take a nice Euro and, and throw something up in transition too. So like, yeah, I, I, I could see it. It's becoming less spicy the more I talk about it, but I yeah, think I it's just, say, we're, all, we're talking ourselves into it. I think it's just the oh. sheer, the sheer huge jump that they would have to take. But granted, I don't think anyone would have predicted them going from, you know, a top five defense to a barely top 20 defense last year uh, and jumping from barely a top 20 offense up to one of the top three in the league and one of the best ever in the history of the NBA by many standards. Uh, so, you know, that's Here, crazy things happen all the time. Here's the real question. How many we made 12 predictions? Yeah. How many of these are going to come right or come true? How are we defining correct? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, because last year, like, by an objective for, observers, like for example, last year I said Brunson wins MIP. You can make a case he probably should have, but like he didn't. Yeah, is it, is no. it spiritually correct or to the no, no, actually, yeah. actually correct. correct. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three, three. I think is is generally the number we hit right yeah. around there. One, one, one per two. person, but maybe not. I'm gonna say two. Everybody. All right. I'm gonna yeah. I'll, I'll go with a. 25% hit rate. I'll say 3-2. Jeremy? I'm going to go 2. 
you go to okay, me, 25 percent i think no that's one third you're right i'm wrong yeah 23 yeah. oh man this is fun guys we, i always enjoy fun. this yeah just another great installment in the uh the locked on nick's film school crossover uh yearly tradition this is what is this our third or fourth year running i think fourth it's fourth okay. yeah I don't know. I remember a Dennis Smith Jr. prediction. That's all. Ooh, he's been that's got to be four years. <laughs> uh, well, he was traded for no, it, no. It might it might only be three because he was he was still on this team three years ago at this time. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy to think he's the best player on the Brooklyn Nets now. Wow, how things have changed. <laughs> no, <stop it>. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, thanks so much, guys, for for coming on with us. Thank you to everybody who listened. Uh, for tuning in and uh, checking out this four-part extravaganza that we threw out, that we throw out every year. Hopefully, this gets you ready for the season opener. I think we're, I think by the time this final part comes out, it'll be the the day of the season opener. So hopefully, this gets you all ready to go for that. Uh, but until next time, on Locked On Knicks and on Knicks Film School. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody. Peace.